We're reading Colossians 8 today, and it's found on page 1044. Um, Corinthians, that'll be good. Yeah, it is on page 1044. I'm sorry about all this. <laughs> My wife is shaking her head. <laughs> She's married to this funny old bloke. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> this funny old bloke has heard this uh, preached on on so many occasions. Uh, it's an amazing chapter, and so many commentaries are written on it too. And it has so much to say to the church. So I'm looking forward to hearing this today. But it's a very close-knit argument. If you try and read it in the authorised version, you will find it exceptionally difficult. So I recommend a different version I tried. Now about food. <coughs> now about food. Sacrifice to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. A man who thinks he knows something, yet does not know how he ought to know. A man who loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food, sacrifice to idols. We know that an idol is nothing in all the world. and There is, there is no God but one. But even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us, there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. But there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat food, they think of it as being sacrificed to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat. We're no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't he be <clears throat> emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother, for whom Christ died, is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brother in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cease. To <clears throat> I will not cause him to fall. Thank you for this word from the scriptures. Amen. Thank you, Ian. 
Uh, so it's now my pleasure to welcome Elsie Salmon, who's going to unpack uh, what, as Ian rightly said, was quite a dense passage. Um, Elsie is a Methodist preacher, I think, um, who I think we know through Pippa, because uh, she's her aunt. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, let's uh, invite Elsie up, and I'll pray for you as you come. Lord God, we thank you for Elsie and this message she has prepared. We pray that as she unpacks what Paul has uh, written to the church in Corinth, it will speak to us today. And that it will work in our hearts over the next week and over the coming months and years. Speak to us now, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you. people I'm not very technological anything but it is amazing it doesn't matter how often you read it how carefully you read it how much you discuss it the next time you go through you'll find something new you'll find something you didn't see before you'll find something you didn't know and for each of us the passage from the bible strikes us at different times in different ways and you will get out different things from the things that I will take from it. But we're looking at this passage from Corinthians. And I'm looking particularly at the little bit at the beginning where Paul says, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. And at the beginning of it, you might see a little bit of um, resemblance to the comments of the judges on the Great British Menu. Anybody of you who's followed that on the television, you'll see why in a minute. Knowledge is good. We all say that knowledge is good. That's why we have schools. That's why we send our children off for most of the day to learn, to gain knowledge. That's why we support throughout the world those who are seeking to educate, to help people to learn, to get knowledge. Because it helps people develop new techniques in this world where there is so much, so many problems, so much difficulty. And we want people to learn to think of new ways of dealing with it. We've got global warming. We need knowledge to work out what to do about it. How can we help people who are starving? How can we help people whose lands are being flooded? What can we do? We need knowledge. We need to know. And it helps people to break down unhelpful traditions, to know when things are true that you're doing something that we ought to do and doing something which is no longer relevant and has lost its meaning. A while ago, I heard something on the, the radio. We were talking about why people do what they do. And someone was saying, whenever I have a joint of lamb, I always cut off the end of it. I don't know why I cut off the end of it, but my mother always cut off the end, so I always cut off the end. She said, actually, one day I asked mum why she did it, and she said, because I hadn't got a big enough pan to put the whole lot in. <laughs> yeah, because sometimes what we do, what we've always done, no longer has meaning for us today. So we need knowledge. We need to know. So why is Paul so down on it? Why is he so, knowledge puffs up? Well, here's the but. That was the positive, but... An assumption of knowledge, thinking we know, 
sometimes leads to arrogance. I used to run a club for teenage boys. We had to close for various reasons, but we had this little group of boys. It was teenagers, but only the boys turned up for some reason. I think they scared the girls off. But they were sitting there and they were saying to me, huh, we don't believe in what you're telling us because we know that what you're saying is not true. We know that there isn't a God. We know that this wasn't true. We know that things in the Bible aren't right. We know. Well, actually, they didn't know at all. What they were telling me was what they were parroting from what they'd heard other people say. They'd heard others say some of these things, and they'd taken it because they decided that these people must know more than they did, so they must know too. They had to be in the know. And how often do we hear that? I want to be in the know. I want to know. I want to be in that little group who know things. I want to be that lot because they know. My peer group, my group, I want to know. Lead us to mistakes and it can lead us to being arrogant. And that's what's happening here with Paul. And he's saying to them, be careful. Pass up. And we can say, well, yes, but it does bring freedom. I mean, look at the world, all the different things that happen there. And how people have been kept down. How people always thought about being second-class citizens. The ones who had to do what they were told because men, after all, were so much better. Well, we know it isn't true. We women. Yes, definitely. And, but it's been a long time. But you see, if you look through the Bible, an awful lot of times when Christ... Can I change the battery? It's all right. Do you want me to go to the other side? Try again. Yeah. So we have this thing of, yes, not keeping, not having to keep all the rules. Again, my boys were very good. They came to me and said, it's all right, if we don't keep the rules, that's fine, because in church, you know, we, we might do things that are wrong. We go to God and say, sorry, and he'll say, that's all right, you're forgiven, so we can go on with what we wanted to do. And that, again, was a problem, because if we haven't any rules by which to check our behavior, if our knowledge tells us that these rules are unnecessary and out of date, what do we do? Well, sometimes what we do is fine. We say we are free, we can choose, we are not going to be kept down by outdated rules, outdated behaviors, and we have to show that we are free. And great. But there are times when that freedom tips over to doing things which are not so helpful, not so good. It leads to license, the but. But. So we've got the but, assumption of knowledge can lead to arrogance, and the but, assumption of knowledge can lead to license. I'm free to do whatever I like, and you can't tell me what to do. And we can say, yes, but knowledge brings freedom. It lifts people up out of ignorance and helps them to know their rights. And certainly in many parts of the world where 
People have been taught what their freedoms are. They have discovered a power to lift themselves out of poverty, out of that thought of being useless, to discover a worth within themselves. That's handy. We need that. So why should we turn our back on knowledge? But, but knowledge can be a cold recital of facts. Knowledge can be a head work, not a heart work. It can be something we know, but not something we do. It can be that theoretical understanding. After all, there are an awful lot of people who study the Christian faith, who study the Bible, who go into it in detail, who don't believe in God at all and have nothing at all to do with the church. It's a theoretical undertaking. It doesn't actually come into themselves. So knowledge, knowledge on its own can be simply an empty thing, giving us information but not actually helping us to relate it to anything within the world. So we have these problems with knowledge, advantages but disadvantages. Now Paul, when he wrote, was writing to a new church and they were trying to sort out what they as Christians could do and they wanted to know. They wanted to know about this Christ who had come. They wanted to know about this new church which they were belonging to, this new group, this new community. What did it mean? And some of them were really beginning to, ah, we know we've got a light. The light has shone in the darkness. It's illuminating our lives. We know there is no God but one. And Jesus came into the world to teach us about God. We don't bother about the idols that are all around us, these temples that people worship in. We're not worried about any of the heathen practices that are going on. They can't touch us. We are immune from it because we know that it is all based on falsehood. We're not bothered about it at all. And Paul was saying, be careful. And they were saying, but we don't have to be careful. We know. We know that we are free in Christ. So we can eat the meat sold in the marketplace, which was probably sacrificed to idols before it got there. We can go to our friends' houses and eat the meat they're offering there, even though we know that our friends probably sacrificed it to idols, because we don't believe in idols. So it won't matter. And Paul says, be careful. Be careful. Don't let your freedom make you, take you, away from Christ. Be careful, because what you are doing is puffing yourself up, making yourself seem great, and not focusing on the important things. They were in danger of becoming arrogant, of looking at other people in their community who perhaps hadn't been in the church so long, who hadn't learnt so much, who hadn't quite understood the freedom Christ gave. And they were looking down on them. That was the problem. Looking down on them. Huh. Don't know why you're worried. You don't have to be worried. That sacrifice to idols don't exist. Why are you so worried? Don't be bothered. We're free. We're free. We can do anything. It's not going to touch us. And these young Christians, new converts coming in, were confused, worried, not sure. 
not sure. They hadn't quite discovered how much Christ frees you from the problems of other gods and other faiths. And realizing that Christ himself is all in all for you. They were asserting that freedom, this freedom was their right and they were going to hang on to it. And that's very much like a lot of other freedoms that we have around the world. You get people who decide they are free and they hang on to it. Some of the most say, outrageous feminists, and although I stand up for the right of women to be equal with men, there were some people who did seem to go over the top. And the vegetarians who look down on anyone who's a meat eater. And now we've got the vegans who look down on the vegetarians who look down on the, you know, anyone who decides they, they've seen the light and we are all in the darkness and they've got to tell us about it. This is just what was happening. Here was this community and this group were looking down on some of the others because they hadn't seen the light. They didn't know. Well, are we like the Corinthians? Isn't it amazing, you know? <coughs> Doesn't matter how many years through it is, but we're all the same. We, we still get into that little sort of complication and tension. We do like to know. And I don't think there's anything wrong at all with studying the faith and knowing about it. And I love reading books about how the Bible came together and how we developed as a church and all of this. It is a wonderful thing to know. And of course, we do in this secular world need to know enough about our faith to be able to turn around to people who are criticizing us and telling us that they are speak, telling them they are speaking rubbish and that the God they don't like is not the God we believe in. Because so often that is true, isn't it? You hear people saying, I don't believe in a God who? And you think, well, no, I don't believe in that God either. Because they don't know who we believe in. They haven't discovered him. They're just criticizing what they don't know. And sometimes those of us who know God and have discovered God in our lives for so many years and have been with him and walked with him, we have to be careful that we don't become arrogant, that we don't look down on others and say, well, haven't you discovered that yet? Do you still believe in that? Oh, surely you've... Because it's easy to do. It's easy to use experience as a weapon, which maybe we don't mean but puts people on the outside and sort of almost pretends that there's an inner circle of faith which we are in and you are not. Paul says, knowledge puffs up. And if we're not careful, it can do. It can do. Because it can lead us to think that we have got all the truth and the others haven't. There was a series of articles on the uh, programs on the radio a couple of weeks ago, I think, on truth. And I think they were quoting Gandhi, who said, you know, we might think we have truth, but we haven't got all of it. We haven't got all of it. We don't know all of it. In order to know all of it, we would need to be God, and we're not God. We don't know all. We only know part. And we have to be humble enough to recognize that. So what does Paul say? 
he says to the Corinthians, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And that's what he wants and would say to all communities of faith. Knowledge on its own can be dangerous. But knowledge with love, that's safer. Love builds up. And if we want to build this church into a community, then we need to love one another in faith. We need to work with one another. We need to listen to each other. We need to talk to one another about faith, but not in a critical way, but in the way of love. Listening and understanding where people are coming from. And that's particularly important in a place like Camborne, of course, where so many people from so many different walks of Christian life gather together to worship. For we need to seek to understand each other and to work together. Love builds up. If you read on to the next few, past, uh, few, verse, few chapters, you can see how Paul develops his argument. It's the bit before the next service. So you've got a bit of time to read chapters 9 and 10 of Corinthians and see how he develops his argument. But he does remind them that he too is free, that he too has rights, that he too knows Christ and Christ has set him free. But he says, I know what my rights are, I know what my freedoms are, but I accept I have responsibilities because I follow Christ. And he echoes back to the fact that Christ too had freedoms. He was God of all. And yet he took upon himself the restraints of humanity to come down and live among us so that we might know God. And there are times when we probably drive Jesus mad because we simply won't do what he asks us to do, won't listen to what he's telling us to do, won't put into practice the things he came to show us. But you know, he'll never let us know it. He will simply lift us up and help us to become better able to understand. He will call us back when we wander off. He will help us to see, if only we turn to him, how we can better be his followers. Because to do that, we need to put on, as Paul said, the mind of Christ. We need to become people who follow him, people who put that way of love first. He goes on to say in chapter 10, for everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. We can do everything, but we choose not to. And it's the choosing not to that's important. In Paul's way, it was choosing not to eat the meat rather than be a stumbling block. To us, it may be choosing not to do something else because it gets in the way. It's choosing not to exercise all our freedoms because we choose to do something else. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. And in order to have a worshipping community that work together, we need some knowledge. And we also need the knowledge to know when love has to come first and to exercise that responsibility which says, I choose not to. So let's pray that we, as a family of Christ, learn to live in love. So love comes first 
and knowledge second. Amen.